Initiation into Hermetics by Franz Barden The Elements Everything that has been created came into being through the effects of the elements. This applies to the macrocosm as well as to the microcosm, the large and the small worlds. Therefore, I will deal with these energies right at the beginning of initiation and allude particularly to their profound and multifarious importance. Until now, very little has been said in occult literature about the energies of the elements. For that reason, I have made it my responsibility to treat this unsettled subject matter and to lift the veil that conceals these laws. It is of course a difficult task to enlighten the uninitiated so that they are not only made aware of the existence and the activity of the elements, but that they are also capable of working practically with these energies in the future. The entire universe can be compared to a clockwork with wheels that engage with each other and which are interdependent with each other. Even the concept of the deity as the highest comprehensible being can be categorized in aspects analogous to the elements. A more precise account is given later in the chapter concerning the concept of God. In the most ancient oriental writings, the elements are called tattvas. In European literature, we only pay attention to them in so far as their good effects are concerned, and we are warned about their unfavorable influences. In other words, under the influence of the tattvas, particular actions can either be undertaken or not. There should be no doubt as to the accuracy of this fact. But everything that has been published thus far points only to a limited aspect of the effects of the elements. The effects of the elements, or tattvas, for personal use can be sufficiently determined through books on astrology. However, I will penetrate deeper into the secret of the elements. For this reason, I have chosen another key, one which is analogous to the astrological key, but actually has nothing to do with it. I will show how to use this key in many different ways which, up to now, have been unknown to the reader. In the following chapters, I will deal in sequence and in detail with the individual tasks, analogies, and effects of the elements. Not only will the theory be unveiled, but attention will also be paid to the practice, because it is here that you will find the greatest arcanum. Even in the Tarot, the oldest book of wisdom, this great mystery of the elements is recorded by having the first Tarot card represent the magician, who emphasizes the knowledge and control of the elements. On this first tarot card, the sword symbolizes the element of fire, the wand the element of air, the cup the element of water, and the coins the element of earth. Hence it is obvious that the ancient mysteries depicted the magician for the first tarot card, and consequently chose the control of the elements as the first act of initiation. In honor of this tradition, I will devote my greatest attention to the elements above all. Furthermore, it will become evident that the key to the elements is a universal remedy 
with which all problems that may occur can be solved. The sequence of the tattvas in accordance with the Hindu system is as follows. Akasha, principle of ether. Teyas, principle of fire. Vayu, principle of air. Apas, principle of water. Pritiva, principle of earth. In accordance with Hindu teachings, the four coarserer tattvas came forth from the fifth tattva, the Akasha principle. Therefore, the Akasha is the casual principle, and as the fifth energy, it is to be acknowledged as the so-called quintessence. In the appropriate chapter of this book, I shall inform the reader in more detail in regards to this Akasha, the finest of elements. Also, the specific also the specific attributes of each element will be alluded to in the following chapters, beginning with the highest plane down to the coarsest physical matter. By now the reader must have concluded that it is certainly no easy task to analyze the great mystery of creation and to find the proper words which will enable one to penetrate into this matter and be able to form a graphic picture of it. The analysis of the elements is discussed in further detail, and their practical value is emphasized, so that every scientist, whether he be a chemist, a physician, a magnetopath, an occultist, a magician, a mystic, a kabbalist, a yogi, or whatever, can derive their practical benefits. The purpose of this book will be fulfilled if I succeed in teaching the reader to penetrate into this matter, at least to the point where he is able to use the practical key for the field of knowledge that is of interest to him. The Principle of Fire It has already been mentioned that the Akasha, or Principle of Ether, is the cause of the formation of the elements. According to the Oriental writings, the first element to come out of the Akasha is Teyas, the principle of fire. This element, as well as the others, is effective not only on our physical plane, but in everything that has been created. The fundamental attributes of the fiery principle are heat and expansion. That is why, at the beginning of any creation, there is fire and light. Even the Bible begins with the words, Fiat lux, let there be light. Light, of course, has fire as its foundation. Every element has two polarities, namely active and passive, or plus and minus, and this applies to the fiery element as well. The plus is always constructive, creative, and procreative, whereas the minus is decomposing and destructive. When we speak of an element, we must always speak of two fundamental attributes. Religion has always attributed goodness to the active part and evil to the passive part. Fundamentally, however, there is neither good nor evil. This is all based upon human concepts. In the universe, there exists neither good nor evil. 
because everything has been created in accordance with immutable laws. The divine principles are reflected in these laws, and only through knowing these laws will we be able to get closer to the divine. As mentioned previously, the fire principle is in possession of expansion. In order to have a better idea of this principle, we will call it the electrical fluid. Later, we will discover the reason for the analogy between the electrical fluid and material electricity. The elemental principle of fire is active and latent in everything created in the entire universe, from the smallest grain of sand to the highest that is visible, as well as that which is invisible. The principle of water. In the previous chapter, we became acquainted with the coming into being and the attributes of the positive element of fire. In this chapter, I will describe the opposite principle, the principle of water. Just like the fire, this principle came into being out of the Akasha, the ether principle. In comparison to fire, it has entirely opposite attributes, its fundamental properties being coldness and contraction. Here we are also dealing with two poles or polarities. The active pole is constructive, life-giving, nourishing, and preserving, whereas the negative pole, as with fire, is decomposing, fermenting, divisive, and dispersing. Since this element's fundamental attribute is contraction, the magnetic fluid came forth from this element. Fire, as well as water, are active in all regions. In accordance with the law of creation, the fire principle cannot exist by itself but must contain within itself an antipole, the water principle. These two elements, fire and water, are the fundamental elements with which everything was created. Consequently, we have to reckon everywhere with these two main elements, and furthermore with the electric and magnetic fluids as opposite polarities. The Principle of Air Another element that originated from the Akasha is the Principle of Air. Initiates do not consider this principle as a true element. Instead, they make the concession of giving it its place as a mediator between the fiery and watery principles, whereby the air principle establishes, so to speak, the neutral equilibrium as a medium between the active and passive Activities of water and fire. All created life was set in motion through the reciprocal action of the active and passive polarities of the elements of fire and water. In its position as a mediator, the airy principle has acquired from fire the attribute of warmth and from water the attribute of moisture. Life would not be possible without these two attributes. These two attributes also lend the airy principle to polarities, namely in its positive effect, the life-giving polarity, and in its negative effect, the destructive polarity. I should like to add to this that in an instance of the aforementioned elements, we are not dealing with common fire, water, and air, 
which are actually only aspects of the physical or material plane. Instead, we are dealing here solely with the universal attributes of the elements. The Principle of Earth We have been told that the air principle does not actually represent a true element. This applies to the principle of Earth. This means that out of the reciprocal action of the three aforementioned elements, the earth element came into being as the last element, which, through its specific attribute of solidification, contains all the other three elements. It is this attribute of solidification which has given these three aforementioned elements a concrete form. At the same time, the activities of these three elements have been limited and, as a result, space, measure, weight, and time have come into being. The reciprocal action of the three elements together with the earth element became tetrapolar. Therefore, the earth principle can be considered a tetrapolar magnet. The fluid in the polarity of the earth element is electromagnetic. Since all elements are active in the fourth, the earth element, all created life can be explained. Through the realization which took place in the earth element, the fayet, the let it be done, came into being. Regarding details of the specific effects of the elements in the various spheres and kingdoms, such as the kingdom of nature, the animal kingdom, the human kingdom, etc., the reader will find information in the chapters that follow. The most important point is that the reader get a general idea of the workshop of the effects of the attributes of the elements in the entire universe. Light The foundation of light is the fire principle. Light would never have came into being without the fire principle. Hence, light is an aspect of fire. Every element of fire can be transformed into light and vice versa. That is why light contains all specific attributes. It is illuminating, penetrating, and expansive. The opposite of light is darkness. The darkness came forth from the water principle. The dark Darkness has the opposite specific attributes of light. Light would not be recognizable without darkness, because without darkness, light could not exist. You can learn from this that light and darkness came into being out of the reciprocal action of two elements, namely fire and water. Therefore, Light has as its effect the positive attribute, and darkness the negative attribute. This reciprocal action is active in all regions. The Akasha, or etheric, principle. When describing the elements, I have mentioned several times that they originated from the etheric principle. Therefore, the etheric principle is the highest, the mightiest, the most unimaginable, 
the primordial existence, the original cause of all things, and everything created. It is the casual sphere. Therefore, the Akasha is spaceless and timeless. It is uncreated, incomprehensible, and indefinable. The different religions call it God. It is the fifth energy, the primordial energy. It is that which created everything and keeps everything in equilibrium. It is the, it is the source and purity of all thoughts and ideas. It is the casual world in which everything created maintains itself, beginning with the highest of spheres, downward to the lowest. It is the quintessence of the element of the alchemists. It is the all in all. Karma, the law of cause and effect. The law of cause and effect is an immutable law that has its aspect in the Akasha principle. Each cause produces its corresponding effect. This is accepted everywhere as the most exalted law. Every deed has an effect and bears fruit as a consequence. Therefore, karma should not only be considered a law for our good deeds as the Oriental philosophy teaches, but as is obvious from what we have learned so far, its significance is much more profound. Human beings feel instinctively that everything good will bear only good fruit, and everything evil must have only evil as a consequence, or as an old proverb states, for whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Everyone must know and respect this irrefutable law. The law of cause and effect also applies to the elemental principles. I will not enter into any further details about this law, which can be expressed in a very few words, and which are clear and self-evident for every logically thinking human being. The law of development is subject to the law of cause and effect. Therefore, development is an aspect of the law of karma. The human being, the body. The true image of God is the human being, who has been created in the image of the universe. Everything that can be found in the universe on a large scale is reflected in a human being on a small scale. That is why a human being is called the microcosm, in contrast to the universe, the macrocosm. In reality, the whole course of nature takes place in a human being, and it is the task of this chapter to teach the student to learn, to observe, to know, and to master this. I will not describe the physical pro processes in the human body, since one can find these in literature relevant to the subject. Instead, I will teach how to observe the human being from the hermetic point of view and enlighten those who are interested in how to make proper use of the fundamental key, the effect of the elements, in respect to human beings. A well-known proverb states, A sound mind in a sound body. The profound truth which is contained in these words will become very clear to everyone 
when studying the human being. The question will certainly arise, what is health from the hermetic point of view? Not everybody will be in a position to answer this question immediately, because most human beings will explain the question of health from an entirely individual point of view. However, from the hermetic viewpoint, health is considered to be a complete harmony of the energies that work in the body in respect of the fundamental attributes of the elements. It is not a necessity that a severe disharmony of the elements must prevail in order to trigger a visible effect, which is called an ailment. Disharmony in the form of a disease is already a vital disturbance in the workplace of the elements in the body. Therefore, it is a prerequisite that the aspiring initiate devote his entire attention to the body. The external visible appearance of the body resembles a beautiful garment. A beauty with all is with all its aspects is by and large and down to the smallest detail also an aspect of divine nature. Basically, beauty is not only that which pleases us or is sympathetic to us, because sympathy and antipathy depend upon the reciprocal action of the elements. True health is a prerequisite for spiritual ascent. Should we wish to live in beautiful surroundings, then we must arrange our apartment or house or in this instance our body, beautifully and harmoniously. The elements have to perform particular functions in the body in accordance with the universal law. In principle, the elements are constructive, preserving, and decomposing. The positive part in the body, the one which is constructive, is the positive or active part of the elements. The preserving or equilibrating part is accomplished by the connecting part of the elements, which is the neutral part, and the decomposing or deteriorating part in the body is conducted by the negative attributes of the elements. Therefore, to the fiery principle in its active form, with its electric fluid, is assigned the active, constructive, and expansive activity, and the opposite is assigned to its negative form. The watery principle in its active form influences the constructive activities, and in its negative form, the decomposing activities of all the liquids in the body. The air principle is given the task of regulating the electric fluid of the fire and the magnetic fluid of the water and the body and keeping them in equilibrium. It is therefore denoted as a neutral or mediating element. As has been mentioned in the fundamental key in regards to the energies of the earth principle the earth principle has the task of keeping the effects or activities of all three elements together in the body. 
the earth element principle in its active form is stimulating, strengthening, constructive, preserving, etc. In its negative form, it is the opposite. The development as well as the aging of the body is subject to the earth principle. Many other analogies in regards to the effects of the elements and the body could be cited, but for the time being these explanations should suffice. Since the beginning of time, initiates have never written about the effects of the elements in detail, perhaps to prevent any misuse, although the effects were well known to them. They divided the human body into three fundamental concepts, assigning the head to the fire principle, the abdomen to the water principle, and the chest to the air principle, as the mediating principle between fire and water. It is obvious how accurate they were with this arrangement of the human body, because everything that is active, everything that is fiery, takes place in the head. In the abdomen, however, the opposite takes place. That is the watery principle, the elimination, the activities of the liquids, etc. The chest is subject to air and has at the same time a mediating function, since breathing takes place there mechanically. The earthy principle with its cohesion, the energy that keeps everything together, essentially represents the entire human body with all its bones and flesh. Now that now the question might arise how and in which manner will the Akasha or Ether principle show itself in the physical or material body? One who deeply contemplates on this will be able to answer this question by himself, namely that the etheric principle is concealed in its coarsest physical or material form in the blood and in the semen, and in the reciprocal activity of these two substances in the vital substance or vitality. We have learned that the fiery element produces the electrical fluid in the body and the watery element the magnetic fluid. Each of these fluids has two polar rays, the active and the passive and the mutual influences and reciprocal actions of all four polar emanations resemble the tetrapolar magnet, which is identical to the mystery of the tetragrammaton, the yodhe vauhe of the Kabbalists. That is why the electromagnetic fluid in the human body, in its outward emanation, is called the life magnetism, or vital magnetism, the oud. It is also known by other names. The right side of the human body is active electric and the left side is passive magnetic. When it comes to a right-handed person, a left-handed person has the opposite polarities. The intensity of the emanation of the electromagnetic fluids depends upon one's cap capacity. In other words, it depends upon the intensity of the activities of the elements in the body.
the more soundly and harmoniously these activities of the elements unfold in the human body, the more intense is the emanation. With the help of particular exercises, as well as the right attitude and the exact consideration of these laws, one may either increase or decrease the capacity, strength, and power of effect of this electromagnetic fluid or oud, as necessity demands. The manner by which this is accomplished will be described in the part in the practical part of this book. The electric and magnetic fluids in the human body have nothing directly to do with common electricity and magnetism. They are, however, analogous. The law of analogy is a very important factor in the hermetic sciences and having this knowledge will enable the aspiring initiate to, to achieve great miracles with this key. When it comes to nourishment, the elements contained therein are intermixed. The intake of these elements brings about a chemical process through which the elements in our bodies remain preserved. The intake of any kind of nourishment together with breathing calls forth, from the medical point of view, a combustive process. The Hermetic sees in this combustive process much more than just a chemical procedure. He sees the reciprocal dissolution of nourishment similar to a fire that is kept aflame by burnable substances. That is why the entire life depends upon the continuous supply of burnable substances, that is, from nourishment and through breathing. A supply of various kinds of nourishment which contain the fundamental substances of the elements is advisable so that every element receives the necessary substances for its preservation. If we were dependent throughout our entire lives upon one kind of nourishment, our bodies would definitely become ill, that is, a disharmony would be caused in the body. Through the decomposition of nourishment in air, the elements are supplied with the substances that maintain them, and their activity is also sustained in this manner. That is the natural way of life for a human being. Should one or another element lack the necessary energy substance or fuel, there would be an immediate reaction. This lack manifests itself in the functions which are affected by it. For example, when the fire element in the body reaches a higher level of effectiveness due to a lack of nourishment among other elements, we feel thirsty. When the air element becomes more effective, we feel hungry. When the water element becomes more effective, we feel cold. And when the earth element becomes more effective, we feel tired. A satiation of the elements in the body calls forth intensified 
effects in the particular area? Should there be a preponderance? of the fire element. The body feels a yearning for movement and activity ensues. Of the earth, uh, of the air element, the body curbs the intake of any food. Of the water element, the process of elimination increases and the earth element manifests itself in the aspects of one's sex life, but it does not necessarily express itself through the sex drive in the casual sense. It can manifest externally, for example, and the elderly mostly through an urge for increased physical activity or creative work. From the chemical and perhaps from the alchemical point of view, the electric and magnetic fluids have in their active and passive polarities the task of forming acid combinations in all organic and inorganic bodies. In the active sense they are constructive, and in the negative sense they are decomposing, dissolving, and destructive. This explains the biological function in the body. The total result is the cycle of life. It comes into being. It develops, matures, and departs, and that is the existence or evolution of everything created diet. A reasonable lifestyle has to be adopted in order to maintain the harmony of the elements in the body. Should a disharmony occur in the effect of the elements, whereby one or another element is predominant or is weakened, then particular measures have to be taken as to the intake of nourishment in order to direct the elements into the right channels or at least to influence them favorably in this respect. That is why various diets are prescribed for, very, for specific causes. From time immemorial, even the common man has come to this conclusion through numerous observations, without having understood the exact cause. Should the disturbance of the elements be such that the disharmony becomes visible, then you are no longer dealing with a mere disharmony, but with an illness. That means you have to employ more effective remedies in order to reestablish the nece necessary harmony if you wish to achieve a complete recovery and have the body function normally again. All healing methods known to us today are established on this foundation. I refrain from mentioning details in regard to these healing methods since they are commonly known or available. In general, the naturopath makes use of thermic effects or impacts such as baths, sits, hand and foot baths, compresses, poultices, herbs, massage, etc. The allopath makes use of all concentrated remedies which should 
call forth the effect corresponding to the elements and should bring about recovery. The homeopath stimulates the opposite element through his healing remedies. Similia similibus curantur in order to bring the threatened element back into equilibrium in accordance with its polarity. Through the use of his remedies, the electro-homeopath works directly upon the electric and magnetic fluids in order to equilibrate the element that has fallen into disharmony through proper strengthening of these fluids, all of course in accordance with the kind of ailment in question. In this manner, every healing method serves the purpose of restoring the disturbed equilibrium of the elements. The magnetopath, through the knowledge of the influence of the elements upon our body, has by far a greater possibility to be effective with his energies, especially when he has the ability to consciously awaken the electric or magnetic fluids to intensify and transfer them into that part of the body which has come into disharmony. In this book, I have devoted a special chapter to the practice of this method of treatment. The bodily functions as a whole have been explained in detail. Each body part, besides being influenced by the effects of the anagolous elements, is also influenced by a specific element, which expresses itself in the polarity of the corresponding body part. It is an interesting fact that in the workplace, in the clock mechanism or movement, in other words, in our mechanism, some organs possess the ability of having the electric fluid flow from the inside to the outside and the magnetic fluid from the outside to the inside in reciprocity, through which the function of the entire organism is carried out harmoniously and anonymously. When it comes to other organs, the opposite applies. The electric fluid is effective from the outside to the inside, and the magnetic fluid from the inside to the outside. The knowledge of this polar emanation is known in the hermetic sciences as the occult anatomy of the body. It is extremely important for every initiate to possess knowledge of the effects of this occult anatomy if he wishes to know, influence, and control his body. Furthermore, I will give an account of the occult anatomy of the human body in regards to the electric and magnetic fluids, that is, in the positive and negative spheres of activity. This information will greatly benefit the magnetopath, because he will be able to treat the particular part of the body in accordance with the seat of the disease either with the electric or magnetic fluids. However, this knowledge can be of great benefit to everyone else as well. The Occult Anatomy of the Body The Head The front part of the head is electric. The back part of the head is magnetic. The right side of the head is magnetic. The left side of the head is electric. The inside of the head is electric. The Eyes the front part of the eyes and the back part, rearward, are neutral. The right side and the left side of the eyes are electric. The
The inner part of the eyes is magnetic. The ears. The front part of the ear is neutral, and the back part is neutral. The right side is magnetic, the left side is electric. The inside is neutral. The mouth and tongue. The front part is neutral. The back part is neutral. The right side is neutral. The left side is neutral. The inside is magnetic. The neck. The front part of the neck is magnetic. The back part of the neck is magnetic. The right side of the neck is magnetic. The left side of the neck is electric. The inside of the neck is electric. The chest. The front part of the chest is electromagnetic. The back part is electric. The right side is neutral. The left side is electric. And the inside is neutral. The abdomen. The front part is electric. The back part is magnetic. The right side is magnetic. The left side is electric. The inside is magnetic. The hands. The front part is neutral and the back part is neutral. The right side is magnetic. The left side is electric. The inside is neutral. The fingers of the right hand. The front part and the back part are neutral. The right side and the left side are electric. The inside is neutral. The fingers of the left hand. The front part and back part are neutral. The right side and the left side are electric. The inside is neutral. The feet. The front part and the back part are neutral. The right side is magnetic. The left side is electric. The inside is neutral. The male genitals. The front part is electric. The back part is neutral. And the right and left sides are neutral. The inside is magnetic. The female genitals. The front part is magnetic. The back part is neutral. And the right and left sides are neutral. The inside is electric. The last vertebra and the anus. The front part and the back part are neutral, and the right and left sides are neutral. The inside is magnetic. On the basis of this occult anatomy, the initiate can compile further analogies with the key of the tetrapolar magnet in accordance with his needs. The alchemist will recognize from this that the human body is a true athanot in which the most complete alchemical process, the great work or preparation of the philosopher's stone, visibly takes place. This concludes the chapter on the body. I will not say that I have taken everything into consideration, but I have at least pointed out the most important aspects regarding the elements, the tetrapolar magnet, and I have unveiled the mysteries of the tetragrammaton regarding the physical body. The Physical Material Plane, or the Physical Material World. In this chapter, I will not describe the material or physical world, the mineral, plant, and animal kingdoms, nor will I discuss physical processes in nature. I am certain that this has been sufficiently discussed in the schools. For instance, that there is a north and south pole, how rain comes into being, how storms develop, and so forth. The aspiring initiate should be less interested in these occurrences than in his endeavor to know the material world 
by means of the elements and their polarities. I do not have to, men to make mention of the fact that on our planet there is fire, water, air, and earth. This should be clear in everyone's mind. Nevertheless, it would be an excellent idea for the aspiring initiate to learn the cause and effect of the four elements and understand how to make proper use of them in, order, in accordance with the corresponding analogies to other planes. In a further chapter about the practice of magic, you will learn how it is possible through the knowledge of the material elements to contact higher planes at the same time. For the present, it is important to know that upon our earth, the workings of the elements in their most subtle form is carried out exactly in the same manner as in the human body. When you draw analogies to the human body, you will gain the knowledge of how to establish parallels to the elements, and you will see that the analogy to the human body is justified. In the chapter about the body, we discuss the lifestyle and functions of the elements in regards to the body, and should the initiate succeed in making use of the elements in their most subtle form, he will be able to perform miracles in his body. Not only that, he has the right to maintain that nothing is impossible in this respect. The earth element has within itself the tetrapolar magnet, with its polarity and the effect of the remaining elements. In nature, the fiery principle in its active form causes the vitalizing principle and in its negative form the destructive and decomposing principle. The water principle does the opposite in its negative form. The air principle, with its bipolar polarity, is also the neutral, equilibrating, and preserving principle in nature. On account of its specific attribute of cohesion, the earth element has as its foundation the two great fundamental elements of fire and water, along with their neutralization through the air principle. It should be, it should therefore be considered the coarsest of the material elements. Through the reciprocal effect of the fire element and the water element, we have, as mentioned with respect to the body, two fundamental fluids, namely the electric and the magnetic. They have come into being in accordance with the same laws that apply to the body, and they also have their reciprocal effects. Everything that occurs on our earth in the material or physical sense is caused by these two elements with their fluids. They influence all chemical processes within and without the earth in the mineral, plant, and animal kingdoms. From this you can surmise that the electrical fluid is in the center of the earth and the magnetic fluid on the surface. This magnetic fluid of the earth's surface keeps everything material or compounded into a, a solid except for the attribute of the water principle with its cohesive force. Through each body's specific attributes, which depend upon the composition of the elements, each object has particular emanations in respect to the electric fluid, the so-called electron vibrations 
which are attracted by the common magnetic fluid of the material of the entire material world. This attraction is called weight. Therefore, weight is a manifestation of the attractive power of the earth. The attractive power of iron and nickel, which is well known to us, is only a small example of something which emulates a phenomenon that occurs on a large scale upon our whole earth. What is known on our earth as magnetism and electricity is a manifestation of the tetrapolar magnet. We also know that by arbitrarily reversing the polarity, we can produce electricity from magnetism, and by mechanical means, we can again obtain magnetism from electricity. The transformation of one power into another is an alchemical or magical procedure which, in the course of time, became so common that it was no longer considered to be alchemy or magic, but was attributed to physics. On this basis, we see that the tetrapolar magnet can be utilized here. Every hermetic knows the function of magnetism and electricity in accordance with the law. Whatever is above is like that which is below and not only in the human body, but in the material world as well. Any initiate who understands how to employ the energies of the elements, or the great mystery of the Tetragrammaton, on all planes is capable of achieving great things in our material world, which to the eyes of the uninitiated appear as miracles. However, for the initiate, they are not miracles. He can explain even the greatest oddity on the basis of his knowledge of the laws. All development, maturity, life, and death here on earth depend upon the principles that have been described here. Consequently, it is completely clear to the initiate that the concept of death does not indicate to him a decomposition into nothingness. Instead, that which is considered to be annihilation or death is merely a transition from one state into another. The material world has come into being from the Akasha principle, which is known to us as the ether. The material world is also regulated and maintained by the Akasha principle. This explains that it is a transference of the electric or the magnetic fluids upon which all inventions that have to do with telecasts or teletransmissions through the ether are based. For instance, radio, telegraphy, telephone communication, television. This includes all future inventions that are yet to be achieved by means of the electric and magnetic fluids in the ether. The fundamental principle in the laws were, are, and always will be the same. A very voluminous book with an exciting content could be written about the effects of the individual magnetic and electric fluids upon the material plane. However, the observant reader who has made the decision to walk the path of initiation and who is not discouraged while studying the fundamental principles 
will come into the knowledge of the different variations of the energies and attributes all by himself. The fruit of his efforts will be amply rewarded with knowledge. The soul, or astral body. Through the finer vibrations of the elements, through the polarity of the electric and magnetic fluids, the actual human being, the soul, has come forth out of the Akasha principle, or the finer vibrations of the ether. The functions of the elements in the physical body take place in the same manner as the functions of the soul or astral body. The soul is connected to the body through the tetrapolar magnet with its specific attributes. Their unification will take place analogous to the body through the electromagnetic influences of the elements. The initiates call the working of the elements the so-called electromagnetic fluid of the soul, the astral matrix or life. The astral matrix or the electromagnetic fluid of the soul is not identical with the aura of the occultists. I will deal later with the subject of the aura. The astral matrix or the electromagnetic fluid is the bonding agent between body and soul. The fiery principle causes that which is constructive even in the soul. The watery principle that which is vitalizing, the airy principle that which is equilibrating, and the earthy principle that which is put together, developing and preserving. The astral body is subject to exactly the same functions as the physical body. Human beings are endowed with five senses, which correspond to the five elements. The astral body, or the soul, with the help of the corporeal senses, avails herself of the five senses and apprehends the perceptions of the physical world. This apprehension and actuation of the five senses by means of the astral and material bodies occurs through our immortal spirit. The reason why the spirit is immortal will be explained later. The astral body would be without life and would dissolve into its components without the spirit's activity in the soul. The spirit could not be accomplished. The spirit could not accomplish its effects without the mediation of the soul. For this reason, the astral body is the seat of all the attributes that the immortal spirit possesses. In accordance with his development and maturity, the spirit has a different kind of electric and magnetic fluid vibration, which the soul shows outwardly in the four temperaments. We differentiate in accordance with the predominant elements, the caloric, sanguine, melancholic, and phlegmatic temperaments. Therefore, the caloric temperament originates from the fire element. The sanguine temperament originates from the air element. The melancholic temperament originates from the water element. And the phlegmatic temperament originates from the earth element. In accordance with the strength and vibration of the respective element, you will also notice in the various attributes the strength, energy, and expansion of the respective fluid deviations. Each of these four elements 
which determines the temperament of a human being, has in its active form goodness or good attributes, whereas in its passive form it embodies the opposite, the evil attributes. It would be too voluminous to give an itemized statement here of the effectiveness of the elements, and it would be much more advantageous for the inspiring initiate to discover additional effects through his own meditation, because this serves as a particular purpose on the path to initiation.